2: Dignity of man
0: and women, of course. But that was back in the 60s. And speaking of back in the 60s, Bob Dylan, I don't remember what song it was, said, uh, The Times, they are a-changing. Well, they are uh, a-changing. This in recently uh, overcoming united opposition from New York City's powerful democratic political machine, 31-year-old progressive public defender Tiffany Caban declared victory in her race for the Queen's district attorney on June 25th after running on a platform of decarceration, ending cash bail, decriminalizing sex work, and cracking down on predatory lenders. A quote from her, They said I was too young. They said I didn't look like a district attorney. They said we could not build the movement from the grassroots. They said we could not win. But we did it, y'all said Caban, who's on track to become the first openly queer district attorney of Queens. At times, they are a changing indeed. Generally, party leadership-oriented Democrats somehow fail to learn fairly consistently from items like this. But the new group Roots Action seems to have actually learned valuable lessons from the remarkable success of the Tea Party's dramatic gains in 2010. As you may recall, many moderate to conservative Republicans got their butts handed to them when the new right-wing so-called Tea Party challenged the incumbents in party primaries, and they changed the political map. It was a political earthquake which reshaped the Republican Party from conservative to right-wing. Now, as 2020 gets underway, it seems that all the action is on the Democratic side. Republicans have been redefined as the party of Trump, and they're all marching in lockstep with that. So, what are Democrats going to do? Well, today our guest is Norman Solomon, co founder of Roots Action, now with 1.2 million active supporters online in the U.S. He was an Obama delegate in 2008 and, like me, was a Sanders delegate in 2016 to the DNC. Solomon was the national coordinator coordinator for the 2016 Independent Bernie Delegates Network, and is now a coordinator of the relaunched Bernie Delegates Network for 2019. Is the author of a dozen books, including War Made Easy, How Presidents and Pundits Keep Spinning Us to Death. Norm Solomon, thanks so much for being with us today on Keeping Democracy Alive.
1: Hi, a pleasure, Bert.
0: Our focus today is on the just-issued report From Roots Action, on 15 House members, it considers ripe targets for progressive primary challenges, arming the Democratic Party's populist wing with a new organizing tool as it seeks to unseat a growing number of incumbents. The report is called Bad Blues, Some of the House Democrats Who Deserve to be Primaried. The aim of the report is to serve as a roadmap and source of encouragement for individuals or groups considering a primary run. Well, again, thanks for being with us, Norm Solomon. Tell us about the genesis of Roots Action. How did it come about?
1: Well, really, almost 10 years ago, uh, my colleague uh, Jeff Cohen and I, uh, and Jeff founded the Media Watch Group, Fair, Fairness, and Accuracy in Reporting. We were thinking about a lot of the action groups that are online and and were uh, at the beginning of this decade uh, having some very positive effects in terms of the politics of the country. But something that bothered us was that there were a lot of blind spots that really concerned us, that generally while there were some very good websites by our lights that were willing to take on uh, what Martin Luther King Jr. called the madness of militarism, willing to take on the excesses of corporate power, there seemed to be a deficit of strong, uh, sizable, national action arm groups that online were willing to take on corporate power, uh, willing to take on the military-industrial complex. And so we felt that uh, Roots Action could really go ahead and and help to fill that gap. And uh, we started with a a grand total of zero Mm
2: -hmm. uh,
1: people on our email list. And gradually, by taking on a lot of uh, disparate issues, we were able to build our list, as you mentioned now, more than a million active inside the United States.
0: Well, that sounds uh, really uh, interesting. And I will tell you, having been in politics for a very long time, uh, I've tried losing and I've tried winning. It's, It's better to win. It really is. And I think, you know, you have to connect with the people to do that. And I'm not sure how the Democratic National Committee, how willing they are, to, uh, to change course, and uh, I mean, look what they did in 2016, and lost amazingly. The list, there's a list on this uh, uh, report, Bad Blues, of 15 uh, incumbents that uh, it's, they seek to uproot. What was the process, before we get into who's actually on that list, uh, what was the process for deciding what names made it to the list? Tell us about that process, please.
1: It was really an arduous process for. We bet. had a team of people uh, who went through the data and uh, actually one of them was uh, at, um, a volunteer for Tiffany Caban, as it turned out, and uh-huh. uh, so would split his time uh, that when he wasn't uh, working at a social justice job in Harlem, going through a lot of the data and trying to figure out uh we got a lot to choose from here, so we gradually narrowed it down to, oh, about 45 incumbent Democrats in the House who we felt, uh, based on their record, uh, were frankly more like Republican light, right. and uh, many of them were members of either the New Democrat Coalition, which is 100 members of the House, or uh, Blue Dog Coalition, and they had uh, pretty much uh, staked their political claim to imitating uh, the GOP, mm-hmm. uh, uh, voting for the uh, Democrat, Nancy Pelosi for Speaker, and so forth. So anyway, we went through the data, and then we we had the hard job, because we didn't want to just list a bunch of names, right. and we also uh, didn't want to write uh, an encyclopedia. We really wanted it to be digestible, but thorough, a lot of depth, as anybody who reads the report at badblues.org. blues dot org will see we've got literally hundreds of hot links if people want to look uh, for the documentation so we settled on uh, doing about 15 or so and one of the things we looked at was a gap between the politics of the incumbent in the house and the politics of the people who live in the district and I think you know, more and more that's coming to the fore because when there are elites in office, they often pay way more attention to their contributors, their big contributors, and their colleagues on Capitol Hill than they do to people in the district. So we were looking to uh, identify those gaps and uh, choose those candidates, uh, choose those uh, districts and incumbents accordingly.
0: Wow. Well, certainly, uh, amazingly enough, uh, Trump played On the distance, people feel they, a lot of people, you know, not just uh, progressive Democrats, a lot of people feel like, who is my government working for? Who is my member of Congress working for? Is it me or is it the big funders? And Trump played on that very well. Of course, he's, you know, done quite the opposite, really. But he did connect with that. and, And for Democrats to miss that, big mistake, I think. Now, your press release says the report, As you say, it's not exhaustive. There may be a Democratic incumbent near you, it says, who serves corporate interests more than majority interests. My question is, how do you determine a ratio of support for corporate interests versus not serving them? I mean, you know, is any funding from big corporate interests okay? Or, or, you know, there must be some sort of balance and then looking at the people in the district that must be sort of a challenging task for you.
1: Well, yes, it certainly is. And I think that's true ongoing for people who live in districts or looking at their senators, as well as folks in the state legislature, to try to, to, to gauge that. I think some of it is certainly to scrutinize the voting record, not the rhetoric, which is often a challenge. I think, Joe Biden's candidacy at the national level epitomizes that because often the image really, and this is a lowercase t, trumps the uh, actual uh, conduct in office, the actual levers of power and how they're being pulled and in what direction. So certainly the contributions, the the PACs, the flow of money, the big checks, uh, you can go to a place like Open Secrets online and you can gauge some of that. Uh, but it's often, uh, at first glance, not clear because there are the PACs that weigh in quite often on behalf of a certain uh, candidate. And of course, the more powerful the incumbent, the more money they tend to get from those big corporate special interests.
0: And that's, that's sometimes, it's got to be a little bit challenging. And it may, you know, as I was getting ready to do this uh, discussion, I thought about. Our own uh, former member of Congress, Carol Shea Porter, we're in New Hampshire CD1. We only have two Congress members of Congress from New Hampshire because of our population. But certainly all members of Congress back up employers in their district, especially if they employ a lot of people. For example, we had Carol Shea Porter, reliably liberal, although she did endorse uh, Hillary Clinton, which was disappointing. But there's the Portsmouth Naval Shipyard in this district, which employs hundreds of her constituents. They, of course, do exclusively defense-related work. Now, many of her more liberal uh, constituents would like to see defense spending reordered, if not reduced. What would Root's action have, have said or done?
1: Well, we would have said that uh, as William Wimpusinger, the former uh, machinist, the uh, yes. president who's passed away... Uh, was pointing out decades ago that creating jobs with military spending is one of the least efficient ways to do it, even if you set aside what it's doing in terms of uh, creating cultures of violence domestically and overseas. The reality is that uh, if you want to create jobs, uh, you're, you're pouring a lot of money at the top of the machine uh, mm. of militarism, and you're getting relatively few jobs at the bottom. Uh, so I think fighting for conversion is crucial, whether yes. it's... Uh, at uh, shipyards in New Hampshire or anywhere else, right. we've got to fight for the right of everyone uh, to have a good paying, safe job with a future. And there's a parallel here with the fossil fuel industry. There are people working in coal mines, fewer and fewer,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and uh, fracking and so forth. Yes. And they're not the enemy. The problem is those who are profiteering off of destructive technologies and industries. And we certainly no solar panels alone. And I know that uh, there were a couple of people in the presidential debate who pointed this out, uh, that you have other ways to go, that uh, solar panels, for instance, could the U.S. could be a world leader, not China. So I think this is something that can be pointed out, but you're going to get, as a political leader, some flack if you really stick to that principle and fight for uh, the visionary future. And uh, I would say, and, and of course, I prefer to call it uh, military spending. Yes, it is uppercase D defense spending. But it's really uh, often this money is not defending anybody except right. the profits of uh, the the Wall Street uh, tycoons uh, who are making sure. so much uh, off of, of these industries. I'll give one quick example, Bert. Sure. You know, you you mentioned uh, well, both of us we were uh, big. Bernie Sanders supporters, uh, Bernie delegate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know Bernie in Vermont has been a supporter of the F-35 because it was being based in part in Burlington. And it's just, uh, I, I just close on that point by quoting Martin Luther King. He said that this militarism is a, a demonic suction tube, and it's so <laughs> destructive in so many ways, and we, we need to push back.
0: That's a good quote. I, I hadn't heard that from Martin Luther King, a demonic suction tube. I can see that. And, you know, a lot of this stuff, not to get too far down into this, uh, is, uh, is basically welfare for the military corporations making things that don't do anything except gather dust and hopefully gather dust and uh, just make a lot of profits for the militarists. And in the other district in New Hampshire, Sturm Ruger Guns. Are manufactured and they also employ a lot of citizens, but uh, you know, how, how, yeah. I, I suppose, I mean, I the the uh, member of Congress from Second District, New Hampshire, is not particularly progressive or liberal, but pressure can be put on. So, how do you make the call about you know putting pressure on and say, hey, you know, a lot more jobs can be created doing good, useful things. Uh, than to, you know, be making uh, guns and, uh, and uh, attack submarines.
1: Yeah, I mean, pressure is really a key concept there. And often, frankly, um, progressives, liberals, whatever we might want to call ourselves, leftists, we're too nice. Yeah, We have a congressperson. We appreciate good things that she or he does and we tend to be a little back on our heels in terms of challenging, yeah. the, the right wing, the corporate, the those who want to uh, simply split the difference with Republicans, uh, they're not necessarily that passive about it. And the policy we get is, I believe, sometimes the result of that imbalance of just uh, determination. And that really gets us, I think, to this concept of, primary challenges and being willing to organize effectively. You know, people, it's so ironic, will often put so much time and energy and resources, money, into lobbying. That's good. But one of the most effective ways to lobby a member of Congress is to make clear that you're willing to primary him or her Mm -hmm. if warranted.
0: And that's exactly what the Tea Party did in 2010 very successfully. And there's a lesson there that it seems uh, at least somebody is learning. Sounds like Roots Action is. It worked, and it can work for our side as well. For those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. And our guest today is Norm Solomon, uh, co-founder of Roots Action Uh, with over a million supporters online, and we're talking about a report that they just issued on 15 House members they would like to see uh, primaried. The report is called Bad Blues, Some of the House Democrats Who Deserve to be Primaried. And before we get into the list, the report says typically the worse the Congress member, the more corporate funding they get. I wonder if you could say more about that, please, before we get into some examples, the 15 incumbents on your list to defeat. What do you know about... It's probably relatively, I mean, relatively easy to measure the ratio of corporate funding versus other.
1: Yes, uh, the, the well-named uh, site I mentioned, Open Secrets, really details that, the, the, the data are really in. And it's a pattern where... A kind of a protection racket exists, the fact is, if somebody's giving $10,000 uh, to a PAC or $2,800 in a cycle, uh, that person, unfortunately, will get uh, more response from a member of Congress than somebody who, who sends in $10. Right, And that's just the reality. That's where I think it's so significant uh, that I would give uh, Howard Dean credit in his... Uh, campaign back in the previous decade, he showed that you could raise money in small amounts from a lot of folks. Now, Howard Dean has personally developed another direction himself, (laughs) taking very big checks as a lobbyist for some rather malign forces like Mm -hmm. uh, MEK, Iranian neo-terrorists or oh. the health uh, care industry. Yes, But that's a side. I yeah. mean, he really broke the barrier. Obama did that somewhat as well in his first campaign. And Bernie Sanders has done oh, it yeah. uh, better than anybody in the history of the United States with yes. the help of uh, a very strong base at the grassroots. So that's a way to counter. You know, we don't want to be only doom and gloom. Although there's a lot of gloom out there. But it is being shown again and again. That it's possible to raise a lot of money in small amounts yes. from a lot of people, and that's a, a way to, uh, in part, explain how the Wearethall came to be. So that it looks like we're going to have a very progressive DA in Queens, New York.
0: Yes, indeed, that's very exciting. And I, you know, as you're talking, I'm remembering, you know, the the uh, in the 1990s, the Democratic Party uh, was. Kinda hijacked by something called the Democratic Leadership Council, which has since ceased to exist because their job was complete. They were all about going for the easy money, the big checks from Wall Street, because you know it takes a tremendous amount of money to run for office, especially for president. And so that's the direction they went in. They figured that was the only way to do it. Well, Bernie Sanders showed him up with the average twenty-seven dollars, and it's an issue of democracy too. I mean, one of the things you know, in the 1770s, we had this war of independence. It was to have self-government, not uh, have the aristocrats and the royalists controlling everything. And, you know, I mean, the Democratic Party, I think, has to redefine itself and reconnect with people and fire people up and be democratic with a small d. I suspect you agree completely with that, Norman. Well, let's get right to the list, list of 15 people. And I'd like to to beg the indulgence of the listeners to, to go through that list. It's an interesting list. The first name on the list is Sherry Bustos. The Bad Blues, I don't know if I pronounced that right, the Bad Blues report says few Democrats in Congress have earned faster or fiercer notoriety among progressives nationwide than Sherry Bustos. Just 10 weeks after becoming chair of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee in early January, she imposed a new policy that blacklists any consultant or vendor who works for a primary challenger against an incumbent Democrat, incumbent House Democrat, blacklists any consultant or vendor. And there's a lot of things that are, you know, I mean, lists and all kinds of things are, are vended, you know, to the uh, candidates. Now, it used to be that the DCCC was strictly neutral in primaries between Democrats. And as a solid Democrat, uh, who is on the lists of contributors, they're definitely off my list, I would consider. You know, if the DCCC supports them, personally, I'm not going to do it because they've changed so radically. What changed with the DCCC, and when? What is what is Sherry Bustos' role in the DCCC policy, and how else did she earn a place on your list?
1: Well, it's really stunning that one person, the chair of the DCCC, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, can almost in dictator fashion, determine policy. It has really mattered who's the chair. You know, Rahm Emanuel was uh, in the previous decade to this one, and he also had a a pretty heavy hand in intervention. But more recently, there's been a more of a, uh, I would say, appropriately laid-back attitude from the head of uh, DCCC. But beginning in January this year, as you noted, uh, Sherry Bustos came in, congressperson from Illinois, and she has really just laid down the law, including this blacklist, which is, I think had a very destructive effect in terms of grassroots support for the Democratic Party across the board. And so she's somebody who really grabbed the reins of power at the DCCC and has driven uh, driven towards the cliff in terms of uh, gaining momentum from grassroots support. She's somebody who is now in her fourth term representing a very wide-ranging, sprawling district in northwestern Illinois. And, you know, Bertha's often comes up. People say, oh, well, that district, you you can't expect to have a progressive congressperson. Uh, But so often that's not the case, in this instance, you have somebody representing a district that was in Congress represented by a very progressive populist uh, for a long time, essentially almost the identical district, uh, Lane Evans, who was a co founder of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. And uh, there's no reason to think that the constituents have moved to the right, but uh, Sherry Bustos is somebody who. Um, has gone ahead and voted for the first two years of the Trump administration more than one-third of the time on the House floor with President Trump. And uh, she's somebody who just is is somebody who is inclined to split the difference between the Republican Party and the Democratic Party and yet claims to be a strong Democrat. Oh
0: and we're supposed to be uh, uh, an opposite party, not necessarily opposite on anything, but... Uh the loyal opposition, they say, in, in uh, England, b- b- offer something different. You know, as you've said, if we're just like them, what's the point? And many years ago, an old friend of mine who's currently chair of the New Hampshire Democratic Party said uh, if there's a choice between a real Republican and an imitation Republican, the real Republican's going to win.
1: And Yes, why take the imitation? Yes. Uh, I think even Harry Truman uh, made that point. There's a very strong myth that's propagated a lot through corporate media and the punditocracy and so forth, that when you're faced with a right-wing opponent, uh, you meet that opponent halfway. Uh, and that's certainly something uh, that Joe Biden is trying to propagate now. Yes, you know, you yes. sit down with them, you find a way to compromise. How do you compromise with the people who are running the Senate right now? Mitch McConnell, how do Oof, you compromise really? with people who are so fanatical, who are insisting, for instance, uh, that uh, climate change affected by human beings is a myth. What do you say? Well, okay, it's half of a myth. (laughs) I mean, this makes no sense. People who are in power, who are vitriolically pursuing policies that are misogynist about reproductive rights for women, do you want to say, well, you know, on Tuesdays and Thursdays uh, <laughs> have women's rights and maybe on every other Saturday. So this is a challenge, and I think in electoral terms it doesn't make sense yeah. uh, because if you are, as you pointed out, uh, simply providing a weak imitation, then you're not opening another door for people who are angry. I think another way to conceptualize it is that there is tremendous anger from the grassroots about economic situations about the fact that for many people, the financial, economic, social well-being of their children is bleaker than what they have been able to achieve. And so that anger is going to go somewhere. And the uh, destructive, and I would say evil genius of Donald Trump was to throw a door wide open for right-wing, misogynistic, nativistic, racist,
2: pseudo-populism.
1: Well, Well, if you don't open another populist door, a lot of the anger is going to flow through that one. And rather than simply be uh, a so-called centrist and not offering an alternative door for that anger, uh, people like Bernie Sanders have flung open, and I would say Elizabeth Warren as well, they've opened up a genuine progressive populist door that doesn't blame people at the bottom of the power structure. It goes to Wall Street. It goes to the military industrial complex. It blames those who deserve blame.
0: And, you know, I'm sure you hear people say, oh, we're so divided. Let's bring people together. You know, stop the division. Let's go toward the middle. I don't believe there is any middle. I mean, all the polls... All of them show that the vast majority of Americans actually support positions which are pretty liberal, that, you know, people don't think they can do that. They're afraid to do that. But, you know, we've tried centrism. And uh, yeah, how did that work out uh, last time? Trying to please all the people all the time. You know, sometimes you got to stand and fight, especially in a democracy. You really have to stand and fight. And I, you often win that way. Not always, but at least you're doing what I think is the right thing and one of the things about Bernie Sanders is his authenticity and people see that and I think with a lot of the candidates that you and I would probably support you can tell they're authentic and that's a big deal and not just like measuring every single word that's just not the way to win enough for me let's go on to your list after Sherry Bustos uh, is Tennessee's Jim Cooper now Tennessee is an interesting place What's, what's his story?
1: Yes, it's amazing and something that uh, I learned in working on this uh, report, Bad Blues, we think of, uh, especially in the current era, of Tennessee as a a pretty conservative place, the senators they've sent and so forth, the governors. Mm -hmm. But uh, there is an oasis in that uh, parched uh, land uh, around Nashville. Uh, That city, Nashville, is the main population center of the 5th Congressional District in Tennessee. And Uh, It really is a place, I mean, just by gauging this, Trump lost by 18 points against Hillary Clinton in that district. But for Mm -hmm. 15 years and more, those folks in the congressional district around Nashville have been stuck with a congressperson in the House named Jim Cooper. He's a a, a deficit uh, hawk. He often uh, votes with and certainly fights for similar economic positions as the Republicans and uh this guy Cooper is a uh, for a long time now been a leader of the Blue Dog Democrats he's on their budget task force he's really uh pushing for basically what in other contexts we might call an austerity program uh-huh. the opposite of something like a new deal uh-huh. so uh, we did uh list him and and write about him in the report actually we got uh, some inquiries from media in his congressional district. And so we've actually been, as in the case in, in Oregon and elsewhere, people we've named in this report as um, those who should be primaried, the local media have been asking us, uh, well, why? And let's talk about why.
0: Great. Yeah, that, that that's uh, really a good thing to have the media check it out and, and talk about what's going on with that. I should re-identify Bert Cohen here. We are... Keeping Democracy Alive. It's a group effort, folks. A lot of heavy lifting involved. We're talking today with Norman Solomon, co-founder of Roots Action, uh, which is uh, listed uh, on a new report called Bad Blues, some of the House Democrats who deserve to be primary. And it's only some of the House Democrats who deserve to be primary. And we're talking about why those people might want to be primary and should be primary. The next one is Jim Costa from California. Now, it's interesting. I think the Republican Party has pretty much given up on the entire state of California. But what about uh, Jim Costa? Who is he and why is he on the list?
1: Yeah, the Republicans have given up on a lot of California, but they've found some people with a D after their name who vote so much like Republicans that it's a pretty happy circumstance for the right wing and one of those congress people uh is jim costa who's now uh in his 8th term uh in uh the US House of Representatives and like a lot of the conservative congress people from California the few that are remaining he's in the central valley he's not in the coast uh he's really been in the pocket of big oil big ag he's somebody who for instance uh was one of only 28 Democrats in the House to vote uh, to authorize the Keystone XL pipeline. He voted with Republicans there overwhelmingly. Uh, in uh, 2011, for instance, he was one of just 19 House Democrats who voted to, to stop the EPA from regulating greenhouse gas emissions. You know, oh, you wow. get the picture. He, he, he's the third lowest among all Democrats in the House uh, an environmental lifetime voting score from the League of Conservation Voters. And I add, they're pretty easy graders, uh, and yet he got just 49%.
0: <laughs> wow. And next one is uh, Henry Cuellar, C-U-E-L-L-A-R of Texas. I feel like he's been around for a while. I, I,
1: yes, he sure has been. It's uh, 15 years now in the House representing a, a, a South Texas district, and uh some of the names and the people that we profile in this uh, Bad Blues report uh, are not known outside of their particular region, uh, but Henry Cuellar is somebody who uh, has gained a lot of notoriety nationwide. He's he's perhaps the most Republican-like Democrat in the House of anyone. Yeah. He's, He's just nominally a Democrat. He's close to the the former governor Rick Perry, who's Ooh. very right wing. Now,
2: oh,
1: yeah. uh, Trump's uh, Secretary of Energy. <laughs> I mean, Cuellar is, is so right wing that he he endorsed George W. Bush for president in two thousand. He gets money from the the Coke Pack, the uh, Coke Brothers Pack, Coke Industries Pack, et cetera, et cetera. So he's like so many of these uh, people we profile in the House. He votes against the interests of his own constituents. It's really stunning. Just one example with Henry Cuellar in uh, Texas District 28. 25% of his constituents are below the official poverty line. And really, you look at uh, his votes on issues like minimum wage, and he, he votes to make their lives more difficult.
0: That's amazing. I mean, the poverty line is like unbelievably low. If anybody's ever taken a look at, at what constitutes poverty, it's it's shocking. 25%. So I, I hope you have a candidate to run against him, or is it still being worked on?
1: Well, there is a candidate uh, who has emerged to uh, to run against Henry Cuellar. Her name is uh, Jessica Cisneros. Ah. She's been endorsed by the group, Justice Democrats. Ah. And out of these 15 candidates that we uh, write about in this report, uh, about uh, half of uh, these incumbents, about half of them have declared uh, progressive opponents who are ah. already running against them. Uh, and it's very difficult, as we note in the report, very tough to unseat yes. a, uh, an incumbent. Very. uh but it can be done no matter how powerful, as Joe Crowley
0: uh-huh.
1: discovered uh, a year ago.
0: Uh-huh. That That's true. And, oh, yeah, I meant to ask, we've used the term blue dog Democrat a few times. Probably not everybody knows what that is.
1: Yeah, sometimes it's uh, almost a, uh, I guess, a generic name. But there is something, a capital B, capital D, right. blue dog coalition in Congress. The numbers of their members in the House ebbed and flowed, but they're Democrats who often vote like Republicans. They're, they're deficit hawks. They want to, except for Pentagon spending and
2: police uh-huh. spending,
1: uh-huh. they want to cut government spending, mm-hmm. and they want to reduce uh, social welfare and environmental protection funding and so forth. And they're very good at it. They organize effectively, and uh, so they're real, they're real power in the House.
0: Well, it, it must be nice for Wall Street and the big businesses to know they got uh, champions on both sides of the aisle.
1: Oh, know, absolutely. Work for the Bipartisan. Th-
0: uh, and uh, Franklin Roosevelt warned against that, that, you know, uh, for the, the big corporations, the trusts back then, you know, controlling government is uh, just as bad as government by uh, organized mob. And uh, to have, you know, both sides working for them, that's not a real democracy with a small d'. Uh, next one, Elliot Engel of New York. Now, New York State is huge. There's a lot of Republican areas. I don't know anything about Elliot Engel, but he is on your list.
1: Yes, he's on foreign policy. He's become quite important. He's uh, in his uh, 16th term in the House. He chairs now the Whoa. House Foreign Affairs Committee as of January with a Democratic majority. He's quite a hawk. He has uh, voted for Republican policy positions. He He voted for the invasion of Iraq, uh, the House vote in the fall of 2002 that helped uh, blaze a path for the invasion in uh, Mm. the spring of of 2003. He was, for instance, one of just 25 House Democrats to vote with Republicans against uh, President Obama's Iran nuclear deal. And, of course, he's quite powerful. And uh, the good news is that He's not invincible, and so there are uh, apparently a couple of uh, progressives who are going to be running against him. His district is in the Bronx and then over towards uh, into Westchester County. So we'll see how that goes.
0: Okay, that's uh, interesting. Then there's, uh, in New Jersey, Josh Gottheimer. know nothing about him.
1: Yeah, this is very tough. You know, we pretty much chose, for the most part, this list and report incumbent Democrats who were in districts uh, that uh, had gone uh, fairly heavily for Hillary Clinton were were pretty st- are pretty strongly blue uh-huh. uh, we made an exception for Josh Gottheimer in northern New Jersey um, near New York City because he has voted with President Trump in the house 55% of the time
2: mm.
1: I think He probably could have just as easily uh, run as a Republican with his voting record. Mm. He's uh, got enormous support from from Wall Street. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce, which, of course, is very anti-environmental, anti-labor, they gave him an award uh, last year uh, for what they call their Spirit of Enterprise Award. So that, that gives you a sense of where he's coming from. And he's extremely powerful, very good at raising money, Uh. and also somebody very hostile uh, to Palestinian rights. As a matter of fact, he has gone out of his way to pick a fight with the uh, new congressperson Rashida Tlaib Mm. uh, to the point that when they they sat down together, uh, she found it uh, very disturbing uh, this is a quote from uh, Rashida Talib. they met a couple months ago. And she said on the record about uh, Congressman Josh Gottheimer, quote, he was using a very stern tone like a father to a child. At that moment, I realized he's a bully. He had a goal of breaking me down, unquote.
0: Bullies. Yeah, Trump is an extremely good bully. And uh, I I think the tide is changing. People don't like bullies anymore. It's it's starting to happen. Well, that sounds uh, good luck with that one, too. There's a whole bunch of people on the list. One of them is Steny Hoyer. Now, he's been around for a while. He's, he's kind of a, a powerhouse. Some people thought he might be Speaker of the House or a Majority Leader in the House. What, what about Steny Hoyer from Maryland?
1: He's He's been wanting to be Speaker for a long time, and... Uh unfortunately for him and under the circumstances lucky for us, uh, Nancy Pelosi has uh, been in the way of that. So he's been the number two Democrat in the House for a very long time. He's actually, I think he's in his 39th or 40th year now uh, wow. in the House of Representatives. He He's 80 years old, represents a, a Southern Maryland district. It's, it's two-fifths people of color. And he's he's really rolled to re-election. Just, he's very good at being a power broker, and he also is good about pressuring House members who don't do what he wants them to do. He wants to whip uh-huh. them in line. And he he made some news that he didn't want to make when The Intercept released a secretly recorded audio last year uh, where he went to Colorado and basically told a progressive Democrat to bow out of the primary race because the Democratic power structure, Democratic Party power structure, had anointed somebody else. And this is, you know, very sort of typical behavior. You know, don't let the voters decide we're we're the smart Democratic leaders on Capitol Hill. We're, we're going to run the show. So that pretty much summarizes Steny Hoyer, but he does have a couple of opponents, and uh, that's new. They could run some strong campaigns.
0: That would be exciting. And when you talk about the Democratic power structure, I think people of all political stripes See that and recognize it, and don't like it. Yet the DNC and the DCCC, they're just they're just hanging on for that. And and I, I don't know. You probably agree that I think there's, there's like two levels here. There's the top of the DNC and the DCCC, and people think that's the party. I don't think so. And I think what we're talking about here is there's millions of Democrats on the ground. And it is all about votes. Yes, it's about money, but money to get votes, money to convince people to vote for you. And there is certainly, let's face it, a split in the Democratic Party between those two factions. And uh, there are a lot of people who who see that there's this Democratic power structure that likes to call all the shots and, and you know feels entitled to it. And people in the middle, independents... <laughs> They don't like if somebody seems entitled, but you got to have the, the chutzpah to take them on. Um, just looking at, at the list again, I don't want to go through all of them. I, I recognize the name Dan Lipinski of Illinois. Why? Who is, who is he?
1: Yes, well, along with uh, Henry Cuellar from Texas, Dan Lipinski from Illinois is one of the most nationally notorious members of the House. He's somebody who has just voted so much along with Republicans, and he's really been very extreme in his opposition to a woman's right to choose. It, vehemently against um, abortion rights, reproductive rights. Oh, he God. co-chairs the uh, the misnamed Pro-Life Caucus no. that is bi- bipartisan in Congress. In, in the House, there are only um, two Democrats in the uh, so-called Pro-Life Caucus. Lipinski is one of them. He's Uh, really somebody who's, we were mentioning the Blue Dog Coalition, he's been a leading member of that. And Lipinski's been in office for uh, 15 years now, and uh, he almost was defeated last time. It it, it was nearly Uh a progressive primary victory uh, from a challenger, a liberal challenger named Marie Newman. And uh, he squeaked through by a couple percent. Marie Newman is running against him, uh, again,
2: uh-huh.
1: and we thought it's important for people to know because I agree, and having run for Congress myself in uh-huh. 2012 out here in California, I agree with the aphorism attributed to, I think, Tip O'Neill, that all politics is local, at least a heck of a lot of it is. Uh, but it can make a real difference to get support from around the country when progressives are running uh, for Congress.
0: Yes, indeed, and just one more. I, I think of Oregon. The picture I get of Oregon being here on the liberal East Coast is that they're kind of liberal as well. Kurt Schrader of Oregon. What's it? Is he in ste- Is there part of Oregon that's more conservative or more uh, pro corporate? I, I
1: would say that uh, Kurt Schrader, as a member of Congress, as a Democrat who's been in office for about a decade. Uh, he's increasingly at a step. You know, when you look at the geography of Oregon, uh, the Willamette Valley, the heavy population center from there out to the coast, it's become pretty progressive. You know, that, that state, and I used to live in it, uh, used to be what we would call now a, a purple state. It could go either direction. Uh-huh. It had a, a U.S. senator for uh, a while, uh, just even in the last uh, decade who was a, a Republican but it has, it has become more blue, and uh, part of that uh, blue wave, if you will, has been ridden by somebody who's a so-called moderate Democrat, and that is Kurt Schrader. It, his district begins just on the southern edge of Portland and then goes south uh, through a big part of the Willamette Valley and then over to the coast. And he's somebody who um, I think you would say, if you look at the numbers, this district is slightly leans democratic and he's somebody though is in a district that is increasingly progressive and unluckily for uh... this incumbent kurt Schrader, he's facing a challenge this time uh... really for the first time a significant progressive challenge from the mayor of the city of milwaukee and you know, not milwaukee wisconsin obviously yeah. but it's a population twenty thousand uh... city just south of portland And uh, Mark Gamba is the candidate, uh, having been mayor now for five years, and he's really going to give Schrader a run for his corporate money. Schrader, again, a member of the Blue Dog Coalition, whereas Mark Gamba is somebody who campaigned for and endorsed Bernie Sanders in the primary uh, in 2016 in Oregon against Hillary Clinton. He's actually a, a professional photographer who's done a lot of work for National Geographic. And I read between the lines, his traveling all over the world, uh, taking pictures for National Geographic has really informed a lot of his politics. He Mm -hmm. is challenging the incumbent for basically doing nothing about climate policy. And um, this challenger, Mark Gamba, is campaigning, among other things, for a Green New Deal.
0: Uh, Green New Deal. And uh, as you talk about Oregon, I mean, I was kind of hoping that uh, Oregon's senator, Jeff Merkley, would be running for president. I thought he was a very good candidate. He uh, was the only U.S. senator to endorse Bernie Sanders over Hillary Clinton, but it was not to be. Now, I mean, money, the corporate money, they need money. It costs uh, probably each candidate has to raise and spend at least a million dollars. I'm probably way off line with that. It's probably way more than that by now. So they get their easy corporate money. Do you guys help with that? I mean, how, how can they They probably, I imagine people are afraid to do it because, well, they can't raise the money. And raising money is very Pain in the butt, if you know what I mean. It really is. So, does Roots Action help with that? Or, or you know, because if you're going to encourage people to run, you got to say, well, you know, here's how you can raise money. What, what's your, do you have any, uh, uh, feel, you know, uh, work on that that goes on from you guys? Well,
1: at rootsaction.org, we do help raise some money for candidates who are either congressional challengers or the couple who are now under huge pressure because they're genuinely progressive uh, new members, uh, for instance, Elon Omar, uh, uh, yes. first-term congressperson uh, from Minnesota, Rashida Tlaib from yes. uh, Michigan. We've done some fundraising online. Uh, of course, they're small contributions, but they really add up—thousands yeah. and thousands of dollars. People around the country who want these incumbents to uh, stay in office because. They're really being targeted not only by the right wing, but Rashida Talib, for instance, Elon Omar. Uh, conservative Democrats are yeah. going after them. Uh, those who uh, believe, uh, like APAC, that yes. it's impossible for Israel to ever do anything wrong, that Israel yeah. should never be criticized, yes. they're going after Elon Omar and Rashida Talib. And so we're raising money. Um, I can't say the old-fashioned way because it's online, but small checks, <laughs> small donations, a lot of people uh, yeah. pitching in.
0: It does work, we know that. Um, now, in Massachusetts, there was a Congressman Mike Capuano, who was known as one of the most reliably liberal members in the House, but he was taken on and defeated by Ariana Presley. That confused me. What, what did I miss there? Why was he targeted?
1: I think because it's not only articulating a policy and voting correctly, it's having the willingness to fight. The hierarchy of your own party if necessary. And another example, uh, that's how we have a Congresswoman Presley now, because she was willing to do a primary challenge. Uh, closer to where I live, uh, in Silicon Valley area in California, we had a pretty good congressperson, Mike Honda, and I uh, supported yes. him. I thought he was, he was good. He uh, yeah. was one of the most peace-oriented members of the House, a strong Democrat. And he was challenged by a guy I'd never heard of, named Ro Khanna. Ah. And the first time uh, Khanna came close, and the second time he won handily, and he's been one of the strongest, oh, yeah. most progressive uh, members of the House in memory. Yeah. And, and actually now is a co-chair of the Bernie Sanders right. for President 2020 campaign. And I think it goes to that point, that it's not enough to just say the right things and vote the right way. We need people who are energetic and who connect to the grassroots.
0: I would say we do. We need to fire people up. People need passion. I mean, you know, people say, "Well, I guess Joe Biden is the safest bet." But I don't see anybody passionate for Joe Biden. I mean, he's a nice guy personally. I, you know, met him a number of times, but you got to fire people up somehow and stand and fight. And, you know, in terms of of money and action and organizing, Move On used to be maybe I'm wrong on this. I could be used to be reliably left liberal group raising a lot of money for progressive causes. I get the impression that that they're more Clintonite corporate Democrats now. What what's going on with Move On?
1: Well, you know, while Move On does a lot of good things, it also has bonded with the Congressional Democratic Party leadership, and when they began to sit down with not in a just let's talk about issues, but a sort of we've got your back attitude towards, say, uh, Nancy Pelosi, I think that's troubling because as activists, we've got to be speaking truth to and about power, not standing shoulder to shoulder with power even when it's wrong just because the other guys are worse, just because the Republicans are worse. And, you know, without without tooting our own horn at RootsAction.org, we really did want to widen the array of online activism. You know, We're at Roots Action, we're an action arm, and we believe that we need to be independent. I mean, I, I'm a Democrat. I'm actually on the state central committee of the California Democratic Party. I was elected from our district to, to be in that role. That doesn't mean I'm going to quiet myself when something wrong is being done by the leadership of the party. And whenever... I get asked, well, why are you criticizing Democrats? I often think of during the Vietnam War when people were told, oh, you should quiet down. Right. Lyndon Johnson is our president. He's the head of our party. If he thinks it's uh-huh. necessary to send more troops to Vietnam, well, I guess we should defer to that. We know where that leads. It yes. leads to death and destruction. Yes.
0: And it didn't have to be that way. And frankly, I am amazed at how... A lot of people have refused to learn the obvious lessons of Vietnam. Thus, we're in Iraq and Afghanistan and who knows, maybe Iran by now.
1: Now, well, and Bert, you know, you, you mentioned um, Joe Biden, and he seems to be a very nice guy. He really has an appalling record. Oh, I mean, yes. I was, absolutely. When I really began to research and write his, about his record earlier this year, I was just stunned uh, by how often he has aligned himself with the Republicans on key issues.
0: Yep. I know, but it, it's it's interesting, you know, the idea of of celebrity, and you know, he's got a nice smile and all. But you're right, he's horrible on many many issues, uh, and and yeah, I he's not even on my list, not even at the bottom. He's just off the list of consideration, personally. Now, in terms of of winning, uh, George will your favorite of mine, of course, carries around a small card listing all the things that that we have been talking about. That, that he says that caused the American public to say, these people are weird. They're not talking about the things that I care about. Terrorists in prison should not be allowed to vote. End private health insurance. They should be allowed to vote. End private health insurance. Pack the Supreme Court. Abolish the Electoral College. Green New Deal. Reparations for slavery. The country, as he says, hears these individually and they say, I'm not for that. What's your reaction to that?
1: Well, corporate media frame these issues, and if they're framed certain ways, then they're going to seem, for many people, uh, not relevant to their lives or not uh, not sensible. But you alluded to this earlier, Bert, when you actually look at the polls and people are asked, do you think that health care is a human right and there should be Medicare for all? Yes. Do you really want the rich and the wealthy and the huge corporations to pay a lot more taxes? The answers are 50 60 70 percent yes on progressive positions and uh, we actually did a report called autopsy the democratic party in crisis which people can find at democraticautopsy.org. and we run through a hot linked list of reputable national surveys and we find that generally aside from the punditocracy and a lot of people in uh, media positions in public uh, positions We have a progressive country, but the way that it's spun makes a huge difference.
0: Yeah, and the the Trump people want to—they'd love to make uh, somebody that I like very much, uh, AOC, uh, uh, Alexa—Alexandra Ortacio Corses, the face of the Democratic Party. And they they think the word socialist is the way to, uh, you know, to scare people. They're very good at raising fear, you know, saying, oh, Venezuela, Venezuela. It's not accurate, but I, I, I wonder about uh, that issue there and, uh, you know, dealing with, with the fear of socialism. Frankly, I wish Bernie would talk about economic democracy. I think that's a better description of it, but, but what's your sense of how that's going to play?
1: I'm just old enough to remember a discussion in the media and in the Congress in 1964 about this idea called medicare yes and wow did the republicans go nuts about that (laughs) it was socialism the reds were coming and they really labeled medicare as a socialist scourge and danger to the freedom of america Uh try taking medicare away from people now (laughs) and i think that explains how the pejorative the term the throwing of the mud um is something that is relied upon by demagogues, but we have to look at the merits.
0: Yes, we do. And and people say, oh, I'm not going to let government touch my Medicare. But they don't, <laughs> they don't know. All right. What about after the primaries? Now, you know, when Bernie didn't win the Democratic nomination, yes, it was rigged. He didn't win it. Personally, I voted for Hillary. She wasn't Trump what about after the primaries supposing you know your endorsed candidates don't win the, the nominations i would hope i mean being too pure sometimes can be can be uh, not such a good thing what about what about after the primaries uh, will you guys roots action endorse and uh, pull people together to beat the republicans even if it's not you know your favorite uh, choice
1: more than ever the republican party led by Trump and Mitch McConnell and so forth, they are so dangerous that they have to be defeated. And uh, at RootsAction.org, we recognize that. And after the primaries are over and a Democrat is nominated, it's just crucial to realize that whether you really, really like that Democratic nominee or not, That is the tool to defeat Republicans, and and that is a tool that has to be used.
0: Has to be. No question about it. So if people want to follow up on this, uh, what websites uh, can you point them to?
1: Yeah, I encourage people to go to badblues.org. That's badblues.org. And uh, for a wide range of issues, you can visit us also on the web at rootsaction.org. Well,
0: thank you so much for uh, what you're doing and for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. Thank you. Thank you, Bert. All right song called The True One by Gene Clark. Changes come so quickly, easily it can seem bizarre. I say there's a price you pay for going out. is the truth